Welcome to Faith in Flagler. My name is Brian McMillan. I am the host and also the publisher and owner of the Palm Coast Observer and Ormond Beach Observer. Thank you so much for listening to Faith in Flagler because building faith strengthens our community. I have in the studio with me today Todd Frenier, campus pastor in Flagler Beach of Salty Church since July. So thank you so much for joining me, Todd. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. Yeah, I'd like to also thank our sponsors, Douglas Property and Development, Big John's Appliances, and Stevenson Wilcox and Associates. Thank you so much for supporting Faith in Flagler. And today I wanted to get to know you a little bit, Todd. You said that you went to college with the founder of Salty Church, Robbie O'Brien. So can you tell me a little bit about what he's like? Yeah, so uh, Robbie and his wife, Christy, uh, both went to college, the uh, same college that, that I went to, and my wife also. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Florida Christian College over in Kissimmee at the time. Now it's Johnson University. They've, they've merged with another college since then. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so it was a pretty small college. You know, you knew everybody pretty much, even if you didn't run in the same circles. So um, I knew Robbie was a surfer, and that was a big part of the culture of Salty Church now. Um, so it's very appropriate that uh, we have campuses along the coast, and it's all about beach culture and all that. Uh, just fits perfectly with you know who Robbie is and and how he grew up. Um, but uh, just a, a, a good guy in college, um, and uh, we weren't like super close or anything, but you know we're friends of friends, and so we, we kind of you know knew each other at least uh, tangentially. Um, and so um, over the years, just kind of kept up with, you know, his ministry and what they were doing at Salty Church. And um, that's the, the connection that I had when I first started reaching out to them and seeing, hey, what's going on there? You guys have any openings? Because I'm looking and that's how we got connected. I noticed that you're wearing flip-flops. Is that like a requirement <laughs> for anyone associated with Salty Church? It, it practically is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very uh, laid-back um, vibe at Salty Church. Um, again, you're reaching out to beach culture. That's the way it is. I mean, you come as you are, you know, whether it's flip-flops or we've got people coming in barefoot in bathing suits, whatever, you know, heading right back out to the beach after services. So that's how it is. Uh, Robbie sometimes preaches barefoot. So um, that's that's for real. <laughs> so what is a Salty Church uh, service like? It's, I mean, it's Pretty typical, it's what you would think of of a contemporary worship service. Um, maybe something that would set it apart from other churches. It's it's very geared towards people who don't know Jesus. So um, that's what we're, we're mindful of um, every time we do whatever we do. Is we're we're reaching out to that one person who doesn't know Jesus. Um, and I think all churches maybe fall somewhere on the spectrum of, you know, you're either, you know, geared towards, you know, Christians and, and really want to help them mature or non-Christians, people don't know Jesus, and you're really trying to, you know, um, stick to the, the basics and help them uh, understand what it means to follow Jesus, uh, not use a lot of churchy language and, and you know, yeah. go super deep. But what, you know, What's yeah. an example of like a churchy language that you guys try to avoid? Can you think of that? So in, in, in a college environment and you're studying about all this stuff, there's a whole lot of theory and you, know, you can get in the weeds pretty quick. But what's an example of something that you might not say at Salty Church? Well, I, I wouldn't use words like, you know, sanctification or something, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't know anything about the Bible or God is not, have, has no idea what that word means. How would so, you describe that in general? Sanctification. How would you describe it? I would just say, 
little by little becoming more like Jesus in your life. That's that's basically what sanctification. If I had to define it for somebody who didn't know what yeah. that word meant, but also not not assuming that people know things that mature Christians know. Like, um, hey, you guys know the story of uh, Noah and the Ark, or you know, you know Moses. You know, just assuming that they know all this these things about the Bible. So really going into more explanation about you know who this person is in the Bible and, and why is he in there and what's his story all about. So um, those are some ways that so, we try to do that. But we yeah. also try to connect with you know things that they understand. Um, so something as simple as when you walk in, you know, some of the music that you hear before service, it's not just going to be like worship music. You might hear some just songs that you might hear on the radio. They're really? not, even, yeah. not even Christian songs, hmm. but that's, what they're familiar with. And so when they walk in the doors, they feel a little bit more at ease. It doesn't feel so foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, a certain story in the Bible uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, as we we're getting ready. But let me, it's one that I recently was, um, I, I recently read the gospel of Mark again. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's interesting because I think sometimes when you read the, the Gospels, um, the goal to me often is to kind of put them all together. So you learn about you learn about the same story if you can in all four of them or three or two of them, however many of the story exists in, and kind of um, uh, learn whatever you can. But if you just read only one Gospel, sometimes like it's kind of surprising that sometimes like the character of Jesus feels a little different from he does mm-hmm. the way he does in a different one. And one scholar described Jesus in Mark as the John Wayne Jesus. <laughs> the John Wayne Jesus. <laughs> um, and if you think about that, as you're reading Mark, um, you know, it talks a lot about his fame and he just goes from one place to another performing miracle after miracle and everybody's amazed by him and, and there's just astonished and he, he's so famous and it's kind of interesting to, to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like the, in some ways somebody might think that seems a little disrespectful or a little almost blasphemous, but how do you make Jesus into someone Relatable. We're trying to have a relationship with this person that we don't see lived all this time ago. Um, what? How do you make Jesus relatable to somebody? I mean, that seems like what well, that's what salty is is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, going back to the the gospel here, you know, when Jesus was on this earth, I mean, he was God, but I do think he was relatable to people when he was here. I don't think it was. Could you hang out with Jesus? You know, like people is, did. is that what people? people did. Yeah, yeah, you don't think of it that way, but I mean, yeah, go ahead. Um, so I, I think that's how he was when he was here on the earth. I mean, even people who were not religious, people who you know were messed up, you know, the, the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors, they were the people who I think maybe felt most comfortable hanging out with Jesus, which is very interesting. Which I mean, I mean, maybe that's you know. It's, reinforces that maybe at Salty Church we're going the right direction. We're trying to make those people feel comfortable being with us also. Um, so if that's the kind of Jesus that we can show to people, I think that's good that, that sinners want to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, so what makes, what makes a sinner want to be around you? Um, well, well, we're all sinners, but yeah. what makes, what makes <laughs> someone who's really down on their luck, really struggling that, you know, 
someone who doesn't know what sanctification means, what makes that person want to be around you? Well, again, you know, trying to trying to be like Jesus in those senses, and I'm not saying I do this all the time or the be- I'm the best example of this, but I mean, just again, looking at Jesus and what he did um, when those people were around him, um, he didn't start with judgment. You know, he didn't start by saying, okay, let me, let me tell you all the things that you're doing wrong, mm-hmm. all right? And I want you to clean that up first and then come hang out with me. Then, then come have a meal with me. It wasn't like that. You know, he accepted those people and, and ate with those people. And that's what he got so much flack for from the Pharisees was, mm-hmm. you know, he called, you know, the, those people called Jesus, you know, someone who ate with, you know, tax collectors and sinners as if it was a, a put down. You know, this was a bad thing in their eyes that somebody would just hang out with these dirty, filthy sinners, but that's who Jesus was. And I think that's who we should be too. You know, when we are out in the world, it's not that we're out there condemning the world and judging it. That's not our job. That's God's job. Our job is to love those people, uh, to show the love of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He reached out to those people. He loved them. He healed them. Um, He spoke truth to them. Uh, We should do all those things uh, that Jesus did. And I think that will probably end up surprising people out in the world because they're not expecting that from the church, from Mm -hmm. Christians. They're expecting that judgment. They're expecting them to look down on them. Um, So if we can be a little bit more like Jesus in that sense, I think that'll um, definitely draw people to God more rather than repel them. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're just joining us, uh, I'm Brian McMillan, host of Faith in Flagler, and I have Todd Frenier, campus pastor in Flagler Beach of Salty Church in the studio with me. So let's go into Mark chapter 10. Um, This story starts in verse 17. It's just a short little six-verse passage that I wanted to look at, but um, it says, and and I'm looking at the King James Version, so it might be, what what version do you look at? I have NIV right now, but I look at different ones. Yeah, that's great. Um, I know NIV is, you know, maybe the most readable. I read somewhere that it's the best combination of translation accuracy and readability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I often go back to that too, but I grew up on King James and yeah. I like the, I like the poetry of it. So mm-hmm. when he was gone forth into the way, meaning Jesus, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And I wondered that, that that's why I wanted to start with this story because there came one running. And I wondered if you've ever felt like you have had to run to Jesus. Oh, yeah. There have been times in my life where you know, there was no other place to go to. You know, it was Jesus or nothing else. So, yeah, I've definitely felt like um, out of desperation you know, that, that I had to turn to God and um, he was going to be my only hope in that situation for sure. Yeah. What kinds of experiences like that, or if you could share one for you, like what is it, what, what are those specific things that make you feel like you have to run to Jesus? There have been several like big ones in my life. Um, one in particular that, that was very uh, impactful for, for me and my wife was um, uh, my wife had a brain tumor. Um, wow. And this was like, I don't know, maybe... 15 years plus ago. Um, and it was a time where, uh, I mean, we had no idea what was going to happen and she had to have brain surgery and it was just, it was wow. one of those 
you know, the doctors are saying it could turn out good. It could turn out real bad. Um, we just don't know. So that was one of those times where we both just had to turn to God and say, this is in your hands. I mean, this is not in our control. Um, and, you know, I knew what I was praying for, but it was really difficult to get to the point where I could tell God, you know, no matter what, I'm leaving this in your hands and I'm going to follow you no matter what happens. And, um, I mean, there was nothing else to cling to in that moment. I mean, that there were doctors there that, that could, you know, help, but even they didn't know what was going to happen. Um, we had friends and family in church who was supporting us. Uh, but, uh, again, there was just nothing. To, we're so helpless you know, mm-hmm. in that moment. And we knew that, uh, only God, um, had control there. So we were definitely desperate for him in that moment. So if you're feeling desperate and maybe there's people who are listening right now who feel this way, I'm desperate. I got this big problem in my life that feels insurmountable. How do you run to Jesus? Well, for me in that situation, a big one, and I think this, this goes for everybody is at some point I had to give up my own will in that situation. You know, I was, I was wanting something to happen personally, um, selfishly. Um, but I had to come to the point where I surrendered my will to God's and said, all right, I'm going to leave this in your hands. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to leave it at your feet and I'm going to trust you that you know what's best, that whatever you decide to happen in this situation that it's going to be for 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 my good uh, um, and for the good of others, and so um, I think just surrendering your will to God's will is a big part of um, of those situations. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter if the situation turns out the way you want it or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can truly, honestly say, "Not my will, but yours," you know, just like Jesus did in the in the garden. Exactly, that's where I was going too. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had to say, "Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done." Yeah. The ultimate, you know, I'm going to suffer for all mankind here, um, and I'm willing to do that if that's what if that's what my Father wants. Yeah. So if you if you can really do that, and that's not an easy thing to do. I, there have been many times I didn't do that in life, um, uh, but if you can do that. Um, it, it really it doesn't matter how the situation turns out. Um, you've put your faith in God and you're trusting in Him, and um, and good will come from it in your life, whether it feels good or not. Um, you know, Jesus in that moment when He said, "Not my will, but Yours be done," um, He didn't want to go to the cross. That was not a, a a great thing that He was looking forward to. Obviously, um, in His humanness, that is not what He wanted to experience, endure. But he surrendered his will to God, and even though he had to go to the cross, it was the you know, the uh, worst case scenario what he had to go through. Um, God brought good out of it, you know, for all of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, he sa- he says to Jesus, this man who comes and runs to him, kneels before him, says, "Good master, what shall I do that I may have inherit eternal life?" What does that tell you about this guy? That's his question. Out of all the questions you could ask. Maybe he's got this one shot to ask, you know, the the famous, the famous John Wayne miracle worker <laughs> Jesus walking through town. Mm-hmm. You got one question: What do I need to do to have eternal life? What does that tell you about this guy? Well, I mean, he's asking the question that 
I think most people ask in their lives, you know, how do I get to heaven or how do I get good with God? You know, how do I make things right with, with God in that relationship? Um, I think most people come to that existential moment in life at some point. So he's asking maybe one of the most important questions ever. Maybe we don't ask that question enough. I'm usually asking like, what should I have for dinner? Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> but I also think, um, you know, Jesus got asked questions a lot by different people. A lot of times it was like people trying to trick Jesus or trap Jesus in some way. I don't think that's what this guy's doing. I think this is an honest question from an honest person. Um, so I, I like this question. I, I like that we get to see this interaction between Jesus and, and this man with an honest question that most of us have. Yeah, right. So Jesus says there's one good, that's God. Mm-hmm. Um, then verse 19, thou knowest the commandments. So this is the, the, the implication here being that this is part of what you need to do to have eternal life. Would you, is that accurate? Well, he's... Since Jesus hasn't died and rose again, there's you know we don't get to that part of the story yet. So he's pointing him back to the Old Testament law. Okay, that's yeah. that's what he knows. This is God's standard for His righteousness, which is perfection, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know keeping all these commandments. Um, so th- this is the right you know this is where Jesus should be pointing him. You know, hey, this is what God's word says um, in order to be in good standing. Uh, with God. So it says, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother, which that's a pretty tough um, standard mm-hmm. to fulfill all those. But the guy, the, this, this man who ran to him answered and said, master, all these have I observed from my youth. So he's a, he keeps the commandments, he keeps the law. So <laughs> he's, he's good, right? Well, this is the point where, um, I see a little bit more of humanity in this guy who's asking the question because yeah. I don't think he's being quite honest here because uh, <laughs> for someone to say I've kept all the commandments that I, since I was a boy is is not honest. It's not true. And maybe he's overestimate. Maybe he's exaggerating a little bit. Maybe he's just saying that I've been a good person. Maybe he's I've telling tried. his intention. Yeah, his, yeah. My heart's in the, been in the right place all this time. I've been tr- I've been trying to keep this law. Yeah, but obviously he has not kept all the commandments um, since he was a boy. That's impossible. Nobody's perfect except except Jesus. Um, and I, I think, I mean, going back to his question again, I think the key there is what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, he's focused mm-hmm. on me and what I can. What do I need to do? You know, what kind of effort do I need to put into this? To and I, when Jesus points him back to God's standard, what he should have done was say. I guess I'll never be able to do enough. You know, I'm I'm going to mess up. I I've have messed up, you know, so many times. But he kind of I think sugarcoats it a little bit and says, "Yeah, I've done all that. I'm I'm good, right?" Mm-hmm. So, um he's looking for some other special answer. Like he's got this spe- this certain access to Jesus right here. Um and maybe he's looking for something fresh, something uh more exciting than just those laws. You know, yeah. maybe he wants to be special. Yeah, or or maybe he just he wants to double check. Like he thinks, I think I'm good. God, is there anything else? You know, uh, so yeah, I don't know exactly. Uh, but- it, yeah, it's pretty. My it's pretty. Uh, there's very few words here in the story. <laughs> so mm-hmm. a lot of a uh, lot of uh, interpretation probably. But mm-hmm. I've observed all these from my youth. Um, then verse 21 in Mark 10. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. I thought that's a pretty remarkable 
thought that that and the fact that he's running to Jesus, I think are what kind of stood out to me the lot, the most Jesus beholding him, loved him. So if we want to try to be like Jesus, do we, when we behold someone, what does that mean to behold someone? I mean, you really look at who they are. You, you, you don't just gloss over them. You don't um, just, you know, categorize them as some group of people. You're looking at an individual and who they are and what they've gone through and, and um, yeah, really trying to, to understand someone. I guess. And Jesus is capable of doing that in a, you know, supernatural way, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. He yeah. beheld him. Have you ever felt beheld by Jesus? I don't know. That's Can a we? Question. Am I beheld by Jesus right now? I mean, are, are we? Yeah. I mean, I think he knows everything about, I mean, everything is laid bare before God. I mean, you can't hide anything. So yeah, I guess God beholds everything <laughs> all the time. At, uh, everyone <laughs> at all times, he beholds us. And as it says, the next two words, loved him. Jesus mm-hmm. beholding him, loved him. It's like Jesus has a moment to be his judge or his, you know, and, and what is his conclusion? What is his judgment of this man who just said, I have observed all this from my youth. His reaction is love, love. Yeah. yeah and he, he could have, you know, Jesus could have looked at him, you know, looked at his heart. Looked Are at you sure? Everything about that? said, Hold did, on. Did you really honor your father yesterday when you said this? Yeah, let me remind you of all the times you didn't live up to God's standard. But yeah, he doesn't do that. He he shows love. And uh, we don't always get to see the emotions that are going through Jesus' you know, mind in moments. But I like that Mark included this, that you know he loved this person. Um, yeah, that's just pretty... Amazing that that's the reaction from from Jesus in this moment, right? And so, but then he says, "One thing thou lackest, you're missing one thing, which mm-hmm. is a pretty difficult thing." He's about to say, "Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and take up the cross and follow me." Yeah, and and this answer is out of love because Jesus loved him. This is why he's answering him in this way, not to give him a hard time or not to uh, scare him away or, or whatever, but because of his love for this man, this is why he answers this way. And I think it's, it's good to, to remember, he says one thing, one thing you lack. It's just one you know, little thing. If <laughs> I mean, if Jesus, if I was in this situation, I think Jesus, his answer probably would have been, well, I have a list of things that you lack. Let me get out the list here so you can work on all these things. So I think it's pretty good that there's just one thing that this guy is is missing in his relationship with God. So that, that's a good thing, but it is a big thing. It is a big thing. Does he want everybody to do this? Uh, no, I don't. Sell not, everything you have. Not in a specific way, Um but if you look at other interactions with Jesus, especially people who came to him and said, you know, I want to follow you, that type of thing, Jesus had a, had different answers for, for different people. And you know, he, of course, had a way of cutting straight to the heart of what was going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the thing that was keeping you from, from God. Um, so he knew exactly what this guy 
struggled with, the thing that he lacked, the thing that he needed to make right, maybe the thing that was more important to him than God. Yeah, we're just about out of time. How can someone go to Salty Church? Uh, Salty Church, um, we uh, meet down – we're in Flagler Beach. If you know where the library is, uh, the Wickline building is right next to it. Uh, that's where we meet on Sundays. Um, so 9 and 10.30, we have services. At the Wickline uh, Center? Yes. Okay, very good. Well, Todd Frenier, thank you so much for being my guest. Um, I hope everyone who's listening can think about how uh, you know that, that phrase, then Jesus beholding him loved him, um, and can feel some of that. Um, so I want to say thank you to the sponsors of Faith and Flagler. Once again, Douglas Property and Development, Big John's Appliances, and Stevenson Wilcox and Associates. Thank you so much for supporting, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>